Welcome to the Emmanuel Church Podcast, where we believe God is with us and speaks to us wherever we're at, whether at work, home, or on the move. We'd love for you to be connected with us by visiting us at myemmanuelchurch.com or any social media platform using at myemmanuelchurch. Thanks for being with us, and we hope you enjoy this message. Thank you for joining us here today. I am Pastor Gabe. Go ahead and take a seat if you are here with us in person. Thank you for joining us once more. We welcome you here if it's your first time. Hi, hello, how you doing? If you're watching online and it's your first time, hi, hello, how you doing? Good to see you here today. We are so glad that you could be here. And um, today is a day that we celebrate especially, but we are also continuing our series called Searching for Truth. But today is also a, a day that is special to us as a church, is Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost Sunday is about God moving in a way in our lives where it's more than just He's talking to us. It's more than just He is... Uh, some kind of far away God, but that God would dwell inside of us and says, you, you are where I want to be at. You are who I want to be with. And so that is special to us because God is unlike our God. Jesus is so unlike any other God out there, any other faith out there that he would walk with us and talk with us and wants that kind of relationship with us. And so today, I'm glad you are here. And if you're joining us online, great, awesome. We want you to be here too. Um, But uh, don't forget, you can support and give and join us in many other ways throughout the week. We have e-groups on Fridays at 7 o'clock here in our Annex building. We would love for you to join us there. We study the Bible together. We're studying the book of Proverbs right now. So if you are interested in that, for sure, join us on Fridays. And if you want to give to support this ministry, you can. You can give in the lobby or you can give online at myemmanuelchurch.com. And if you ever miss out, you can always follow us online on our YouTube channel, Facebook page, and all that other stuff. And so now with all that out of the way, I want to get into the word this morning. And we are doing a series called Searching for Truth. So if you missed out last week, that's important because we talked about the fact that Jesus is the source of truth in the world. He said it himself. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am life. And so this statement is important for us to be able to hold on to because it is so much more than we think. God is truth. But the problem that we have with that is that we often believe a lot of lies when it comes to God. There are things that we have uh, taken into our minds, taken into our patterns of thinking and beliefs about God that distort who He really is. And so the trouble is, is that when we say God is truth, then we're like, well, what does that actually mean? Because I thought God was like this or like that. And so we have this conversation with ourselves and we wonder, is God really truth? Because I don't even know. It doesn't sound like he's truth because it seems very different to me. 
And that's the title of my message today, The Lies We Believe About God. And so what I want to do is I want to confront those lies and say, how can we really have a good picture of God? And and it got me thinking, like, why, why, why is it that this kind of thinking gets into our lives? And it, it reminded me of how people often order things online and you don't always get what you order. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had a situation like that where you ordered something and you expected one thing and got something else. I just saw a video the other day on TikTok that... Uh, this guy, he bought a bust of a shark and it was $40. He says, like, that looks awesome. And in the picture, we see the shark compared to an apple and the apple looks so small. But when he got the shark, it was about the size of an apple. <laughs> and he complained and he was like, what's going on here? Like, uh, what? why is it that the picture shows that it's much larger? And they just emailed him back and it's like, that's a ch- camera trick. So you admit that you lied to me. <laughs> and that's what happens sometimes. In fact, I believe there, there is an app called Wish. I don't know if you've ever heard it or ever seen uh, advertisements for it on Instagram or anything like that. I feel like that is their business model. Let us show you a picture and you can hope that you get the right thing. Just, it's a guessing game. And that's what it's like. You order something. And I, I saw someone order a Baby Yoda and, and they had the one... Uh, that looked like the Disney version of it. And it came and it was the most deformed thing I've ever seen in my life. And I'm just, what is this? What is this? It's like, uh, who knows? It's a mystery, which you will actually get. It's a mystery. I I saw once, uh, it's expectations versus reality. I saw once someone said, oh, on Wish, you can order a 3DS. Anybody I don't know if any Nintendo fans out there, 3DS, handheld gaming system. says, you can order a 3DS for $25. They ordered it, and it was a cardboard shape like a 3DS. And that's what it was. It's like, this is false advertising. This is not truth. Why is this the way the world works? And so sometimes that happens to us when it comes to God. We believe lies are pictures that people paint us about who he is. And as such, it becomes difficult for us to be able to understand who God truly is. And in fact, sometimes it becomes so difficult that many of us, maybe you've gone through in these past few years, I know I have, had the struggle of even trying to identify myself as a Christian. Because there have been such so much negative connotation with being a Christian that it's hard to even say to people, yes, I'm that. Because immediately... Immediately you are painted in a negative light. Immediately God is painted in a negative light. And we are uncertain of how we can get past that. How we can make ourselves come to a place where we can honestly and truly say, Yes, I believe in Jesus. I follow Jesus. I believe in God. Because it's hard sometimes. We, especially in America, are painted a picture of Christianity that is far from what Jesus intended it ever to be. A Christianity that supports uh, 
ideals and, and gods that aren't Jesus. And so when people see God and we say that we believe in God or they read that you're a Christian or you're a follower of Jesus and you write it in your bio, they immediately discredit you. They immediately discredit you. And I mean, let's be honest, sometimes we do that to ourselves because we put Bible verses in our bios and then we post stuff that is not in line with it. We put John 3.16, God so loved the world. And then we're not so loving. And that's, a, that's the way it is. But we paint this picture through our actions, through our lives, through what we believe about God. That ultimately is portrayed in how we live out our faith. What we believe about God will ultimately dictate how we live out our faith. If we believe God is judgmental, then he will be a judgmental God and we will be judgmental. If we believe that God is distant, then we will never be close to people. We will always keep people at at an arm's length. If we believe God is hateful, then we will ultimately be filled with hate. And it might not seem that way to us. And we might say, we're doing what God has asked us to do. But we have to ask ourselves the question, am I really living out the truth of God? Or am I living out a lie? Or am I living out a lie? And this is something that's been happening since the beginning. The beginning of the story is immediately where... Uh, the enemy of the world, the, the Satan, the, the devil, whatever you will call him, already wanted us to disbelieve God since the beginning. And so I'm going to read in Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 to, five, 1 to 5 to first give us a picture of how the lies about God even started. And they'll have it up on the screen for you too. And it says this, God created, well, God created Adam and Eve. The story goes and he put them in a garden to tend to a garden. He gave them everything that they needed, everything they could have wanted. Except for one thing, he said, in the garden, in the center of the garden, there is, I'm not reading yet, in, in the garden, in the center of the garden, there is a tree of knowledge of good and evil, and that is off limits. I don't want you to do, want you to eat of it because you will he says, that, that's off limits. That's off limits. I, I just don't want you to eat that. And the garden and the tree of life. Just He didn't even say the tree of life. There's two, gar- two trees in the center. He says, the, knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that's the one I don't want you to eat. Tree of life, A-OK. Everything else is A-OK. And immediately though, the enemy steps into the story and starts to make us doubt the truth of who God is. And that's what we find in this passage right here. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, God, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And already he is distorting what God said. He says, you are free to eat of all the fruit in the garden except for one tree. And already the enemy is like, did he really say you can't eat anything? So he's distorting his words. The woman said to the serpent, verse 2, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. 
You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So immediately, we see the story is that the enemy that we face, the world around us, wants us to disbelieve who God is. They throw his goodness into question. Did God say that you couldn't eat anything? Didn't he really say that? And then he asks the question again. He says, no, he didn't say that. God is good. He said we can eat of anything except for the one. He says, you know what? Don't even believe God. Because really, he knows that if you eat this fruit, you're not going to die. But you're going to be like God. And so goes the story. Eve took the fruit, gave some to Adam. Adam ate the fruit. They were both there the whole time while the story was going on. And they fell into this path that they had chosen to try and define good and evil on their own terms, to to disbelieve that God was good, that God was who he said he was, and that God had their best interests in mind. The problem with this idea that the serpent placed into their minds is that he was already lying. The first thing he did was question who God was and then throw in the lie of who they were and who God intended them to be. He said, if you eat of the fruit, you will be like God. But the truth was, God had already created them in his image and says, you are already like me. You are already like me. And so when we believe the lies that are, we are confronted with about God, we do a disservice to who God created us to be. We do a disservice to who he is, and we start to believe things that aren't true, and they start to shape the way we live our life and live our faith. And so it's a constant battle and a constant struggle that we're going to have to be in. And so today I want to address three, I, I believe, that are core lies that we believe about God that just aren't true. Bless you. We believe aren't true. And the first lie that we believe is that God doesn't care. God doesn't care. So there's a whole like um, way of thinking when it comes to believing in God that is called deism. And deism, if you've ever heard of it, is simply the idea that there is God, God is there, but God really doesn't care. God set the universe into motion, God spinning the earth and just pretty much it, and he decided to peace out. That that was it. He's like, all right, everything's done, everything's good, now I'm just going to go hide. I don't know. I don't know what it is that they think he did or if he's just watching his science or treating us like a science experiment. It's like, oh, so what's the, what are the humans up to today? What's going to happen? What's going on? What's going on in the world today? And just it's his favorite TV show, but he never gets involved. He's always just watching. And if you have a favorite TV show, you know that 
you already got to know that that can't be true, that God's not just watching. Because if you have a favorite TV show, you're involved. Oh, man, they better not open that door. Favorite movie. Oh, don't go in there. No, they, I, can't, I can't believe they did that. You're involved. And it's the same way God is involved. But we have this idea that God just simply doesn't care. That he is detached and distant. And this brings us to a place that we believe that God doesn't have our best interests in mind. That he is simply here to regulate or control us. We, we believe that God is somehow withholding things from us. That God could do so much better in the world, but yet he doesn't. So he just must not care, right? Uh, we, it's, it's, and the problem is, is that it's really easy to believe this. It's real easy because all we have to do is look, when, look in the world around us. We see suffering. We see people suffering. And we wonder, well, they say that God is supposed to be loving. So why are people suffering? Why am I suffering? Why am I going through this difficulty? Why am I suffering through depression? Why am I suffering through loss and grief and hurt and sickness? Why am I going through this? Or why are people going through this? We look at injustice in the world and say, it's not fair. People that are truly evil seem to be getting away with everything and nothing seems to be able to be done about it. We struggle in the world around us and we see this difficulty around us and you see that is evidence and we say that God must not care. That he must just be indifferent to our situations. So it's really easy. The world will tell us God's not there. God doesn't care. He's not watching. He's not listening. He's not paying attention. It doesn't matter that you pray. It doesn't matter that anything that you do because God won't care. But what this lie fails to address is, the fa- is two things. It fails to address first the broken world that we live in that was a result of human, hum- human choice. That we chose, Adam and Eve, or humanity chose to try and define this world on their own without God. And so when we try to choose and define the world around us without God, without who He is, we immediately fall into a place of brokenness. Because now we can try our best to truly be good, and I believe there's good in everybody. We're created in the image of God, so there has to be good in us. And so it's, it's something that we are capable of. But ultimately, even good ends up being twisted. We do it for our own interests and our own self-concern and are more concerned about ourselves than about other people. We, 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 we live in this world that is broken and where people make choices that have ultimately destroyed the world around us. Climate change is an issue that is man-made. We have continued to do a disservice to the planet that we live on, and yet we wonder, well, this must be God's fault. He just doesn't care. He doesn't care. And people heard us and they said, this must be God. I can't believe God allowed this in my life. I can't believe God allowed this. And so we live in this broken world and we discount that truth, that reality. That people are not always good. 
that people will ultimately seek out self-interest over others. And so this is part of the, the reality that we live in that we have to understand. But the other half of it is that it fails to address the fact that despite all of that, God is still involved. That God is still involved. That God has not simply abandoned humanity. That He has not simply chosen to to ignore us, yet instead decided that despite their brokenness, I want to be involved. And that's what and who Jesus was. Jesus, God in flesh, God in human form that stepped into this world and said, I don't want to leave them to their own devices. I don't want to leave them to their own efforts. I don't want them to, know, to, to mess things up because I've given them my word, but they've gotten it wrong. I've given them myself, but they've gotten it wrong. So I want them to know that I care. I need them to see that who I am is more than they think. Who I am is not someone sitting up above waiting and, and, and disinterested in their lives, but someone that is caring and loving and shows them. We can, we can see that in the Old Testament. The books of the Bible, the o- Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. A lot of people think that those are just like all these lists of rules and things like that. That's part of it, but there is a story about how God connected with us. And there is parts of the Bible that, you know, honestly, Leviticus and, and Numbers and Deuteronomy, they talk about the law, and sometimes it's a little gross. <laughs> if you've never read those books, there's a warning. They, they tend to be a gross in some cases. Because they start talking about, there's passages that start talking about mold and rash and bodily discharges and all this stuff. And it's just like God is giving instructions about how to deal with all of this. And it's like, why does God care? Why is that even written there? And I used to think that same way too. I'm like, this is just like weird. Like, I don't understand this. And I remember having a conversation with a pastor uh, that I know in in San Antonio uh, when I went to Bible school there. And he told me, you know, it, it can seem boring and it can seem odd. But what we have to remember is that this is there for a reason. And what it can show us is that God is intimately concerned with our health with how we take care of ourselves, with the fact that he wants us to be in good health, that he wants us to watch out for ourselves. So he gives us instructions of how to be safe, to be clean, to be good, and to watch for us, watch for ourselves. And, you know, I never thought about it that way, but that God is intimately concerned with who we are. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 27, Jesus says this. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food in the body, more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
Are you not much more valuable than they? Can you wor- any one of you by wor- worrying add a single hour to your life? Like, those last two verses really get me there because Jesus is like, you worry and you constantly, you're constantly worrying, constantly anxious about everything that is around you. And by, as such, you seem to think that God is not watching over you and God is not caring about you. But God knows what you're going through. God sees it. And yes, life is difficult. Life is hard. But if He makes sure that the world is running properly, if the animals on this planet can get what they need if the earth is still in orbit around the sun are you not more important than that you who were created in god's image are you not more important than that he says you see that god god he does care and he does love you he does care the second lie that we believe about god is that God hates. God hates. Now, I know that there's a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about God hating things. But a lot of times, what we don't realize is the things that God hates are often immaterial. He hates pride. Why does God hate pride? Because pride brings us to a place where we think that we don't need Him. That we think they're better, that we're better than others. Pride is a root of sin that ultimately leads us down to a place that is dark. God hates sin. God hates pride. God hates a a lot of different things. But ultimately what we tend to do is that we think that God hates what we hate. And that's a lie. That's not true. That is something that people will tell you. That is something that you will often hear people using the the Bible to justify. That God hates, insert people group here who I don't agree with. God hates, God hates. And this lie too can be easy to believe. Because as I said before, we often painted this picture where God is against so much more than we know what he's for. A lot of times I I will hear, growing up, I've heard constantly all the things that God is against. But it was a long time before I started hearing about what God is for. Aside from the fact that I heard a lot of preachers talk about that God wants me to have a Mercedes and wants me to be a millionaire, but that ain't true. (laughs) I mean, I wish. But he'll take care of you either way. But God, we, we, we start to believe this lie and we start to see it around us and the people that claim to be Christians will, will, will yell it and scream it from the top of their lungs, get into arguments on Facebook and Twitter and everywhere that they can possibly find a way. And the moment that someone disagrees with them or they can't take it, they walk away from it and they find someone else to bully. And that's simply what they're doing is using the word of God, using God to bully and push out people that God never intended us to. He never intended us to hate. Yet we will believe the lie that somehow God wants some people to go to hell. 
That God wants and wishes that on people. And that is simply not the case. Second Peter verse three, uh, chapter three, verse nine says, but this, uh, nope, that is uh, another part. Give me a second. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting. This is the important part, not wanting anyone to perish. But that everyone come to repentance. Not wanting anyone to perish, but that everyone would come to repentance. You see, we would not know that based on what we often hear from churches and preachers and people that call themselves Christians. We would simply think that God wants some of us to lose. That God wants some of us to be in hell. But that God is not that comp- at all. He in opposite. He's the opposite of that. He said that he is patient with us. Patient, loving, and kind with us. That he wishes that none would perish. That word perish, that, that is not simply just that we die because we all die. There's not anything we can do about that one day. We will. Sorry if you didn't know that, newsflash. That's, that's how humanity works. We age and get older and we die. But it's not just simply about dying. There's more to it than that. He says to, to perish for God is to be separated from who he is, to not know him and to not experience the love and the truth and the fullness of who he created you to be and the fullness of who he is. He would want none to perish. None to not know who he is, but desiring that everyone would turn around and see and know who he is. God doesn't hate. He wants to know us. That is what Pentecost Sunday was about. I talked about that at the beginning. That's what Pentecost Sunday was about. The Bible tells us that on Pentecost Sunday, the believers who had been waiting at Jesus' command in an upper room, 120 of them, then heard a sound from heaven and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That that is God in them. That God's Spirit would dwell in them. He says, I'm not, I'm not just this God that's sitting in heaven. I'm not just this God that at one point in time walked with you and talked with you. I'm not that. I am God who, who wants to be with you always. To know you and that you would know me. That is God. God doesn't hate. In fact, he loves. John 3.16, the most fam- one of the most famous scriptures in all of the world that people who, don't e- who aren't even Christians have heard it because of how powerful that truth is that God loved the world. Not a single person is left out of that description. Not a single person. No matter what you come from, no matter how, who, who you love or where you live or what you look like or how much money you have, you are not left out of that. But that God is love. That God is love. Line number three. That God is like us. And this one's subtle because it goes along with 
our second point that God hates things. God hates what we hate. And so this one can be subtle. And we start to believe that God is like us. We start to believe that, well, you know, God is a Christian. God is not a Christian. (laughs) Christian means little Christ. Like in the Greek, the word Christian means little Christ. And ultimately, originally, it was an insult. It was an insult that the people uh, uh, of, I can't even remember the name of the city right now, but it was an insult that people of a certain city in the Middle East used to insult Christians. He says, oh, you believe Jesus is the Christ? Well, you're just a little Christ. It sounds like a lame insult, but hey, you know, I don't know. The context for 2,000 years ago might have been different. Uh, I don't really understand it all, but it was supposed to be an insult. But God is not a Christian. And they said, well, if they want us to call us Christians, let them call us Christians. That's the point of what we're trying to do is be like Jesus. But we started to believe Jesus, he was a Christian. No, Jesus was Jewish. I don't know if you know that. Jesus was a Jewish man, lived in Israel, in the Middle East. He went to synagogues. He went to the temple. He worshipped at the temple. He did things that a Jewish man would do. He was a Jewish person. And so as a human, that was who he was. But then we start to think, well, then God must be like us. And then he is religious. That he is Christian. Or he, he has this way of religion about him. And so we start to think, well, God is like us. You know, God is like us. But the problem is, is the more we start to believe that God is exactly like us, because Jesus was like us. That was one of the reasons that he came to earth was to show us how to live a human life. But the more we believe that God is like us, the more we start to ascribe to him things that are not true of him. We start to say, well, if God is like us, that means God is lying to us. That God can lie to us. If God is like us, that means God can let me down. God can fail me. If God is like us, that means that he is going to be like me. He's going to hate the things I hate. He's going to love the things I love. And he is going to love me for being a Republican. He's going to love me for being a Democrat. He's going to love me for those things. And the problem is, is there are people on both sides of the spectrum that yell at the other side and say, No, God doesn't love you. He loves me. And so God loves, is like me. And the more we believe that, the, then we, the deeper it gets. And then we start projecting, God calls himself father, so he must be like my father who was never there for me. God is a parent, and well, my parents disowned me. They hated me, they, liked, they disliked me. God, they never showed me what I needed, they never showed me what I wanted, and we start projecting on him. We start hearing God as a friend. And it's like, well, you know what? I've never had a good friend in my life. They're all backstabbers. And we start to put that on God. And we start to put human qualities on God. And we start to tell ourselves that God is that. That God is like humanity. But he is so much more than that. He is completely unlike us. He is completely unlike us. There's a passage in the book of Numbers that said, God is not a man that he would lie to us. That God is so much more than that. And I want to read a passage from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 10 to 26. It's a little long, so bear with me. 
But this is God speaking to the prophet Isaiah. And he speaks to Isaiah and he tells him, you know, there's a lot going on in Israel right now. And it seems to me that people have forgotten who I really am. They have forgotten that I am the God of Israel. They've forgotten that I am more than they think I am. And they've started to put me in this box that isn't who I am. And so Isaiah chapter 40, verse, started, starting at verse 10, says this, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. He rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters with the hollow of his hand or the breath of his hand marked off the heavens who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills on a balance who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. With whom then will you compare God? And what with, with what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashioned silver chains for it. A person too poor will present such an offering, selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told from you, to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy. He spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root that he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To who will you compare me or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes, look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and his mighty strength, not one of them is missing. This passage is, is, is such a beautiful picture because it gives us this image of who God 
sets himself out to be. He says, look, you compare me to humanity. You think that I am like these other gods. You think that I am like these other things that you believe in and hold true to. But you've forgotten the truth of who I am. Not only am I powerful and this world is like nothing before me because I am bigger than it. I hold it in my hands. I measure the mountains. I measure the universe. I breathed it into existence. It's small compared to who I am. And and, and if that wasn't like this grandiose picture enough, if it wasn't this bigness for us to see that, man, God really is this, He paints this picture of Himself that is greater and bigger than we could ever imagine Him, the first verses in that passage just throw me for a loop. Because He says, that, that bigness that who I am, I, despite all of that, despite you might think that I am bigger and greater than all of that, that, that's who I am, yes. But I am also loving enough and involved enough to say that I am a shepherd to my people that holds his sheep close to his heart. Close to his heart. That that's just this beautiful image that God might be so much more than humanity is. And that is a good thing. That He would not lie to us. That He would not fail us like humans would. That He is not like our earthly parents or not like our earthly friends. That He is something so much more than that. That the God of the universe, the God that the Bible describes as breathing existence into being who formed us in His image, who formed humanity in His image, that He would love us. That is so unlike any other God that the world has ever produced or believed in. That most other gods would simply care less about humanity or often want to destroy humanity or make us earn our peace in this world. But God says, no, you don't have to do that with me. In fact, because of who I am, I will hold you close because that is who I am. I am bigger than the universe, yes, but I am love. I am that personification of what it means to love. That's who I am. And I'm about to finish here this evening. This afternoon, this morning, where where am I? So this is God. We, We need to do our best to defeat the lies that the world would tell us. The, the lies that they want us to believe that God is this hateful, vindictive, God waiting with a long white beard, waiting for us to screw up so that he can shot, throw lightning at us, that that is not who God is. That God is not like the ones that often call him Savior and they call him God, and yet they would spout hate and cause division. That that is not God. That God is greater than this world that we live in, but he is great enough and loving enough that he would step into it and say, My purpose, my plan, my truth, the truth of who I am is that I care so that I can get involved. 
that I love you more than you can even understand, and that I am so unlike you, yet here I am, walking with you, wanting to live with you and in you, to know you, and that you can know me. Would you stand with me this afternoon? This space, the one thing, one of the things that we want to do here, one of, and it's something that I've been talking about recently, and it's that this space, this church, who we are as Emmanuel Church, we want to be able to make space so that anyone can meet Jesus. And that, part of that is understanding the truth of who God is and who he is for you here today. And I always do this every week. That if you want to know that Jesus, if you want to know him, who he is, he's here for you. And he is unlike what most people say he is. He is unlike what most people will say he is. And he's here today. And for, for those who are watching online too, if you want to know Jesus today, I want to, I would ask everyone if you would and just, just close your eyes in this moment because this is a personal moment. And if you want to know Jesus, just, just say this one sentence, pray this one sentence with me. Jesus, I want to know you. So here I am. I give you my life. If anyone prayed that in this moment, I want to pray over them, Father, that you would let them know that they are welcomed into this place. They are welcomed into your arms. That you have been waiting to welcome them home. Because they are your child. You created them in your image. And I would ask that we destroy the lies that the world and the enemy will want to tell us of who God is. And let us see who you really are in this moment. Let them know that they are here and they are given this opportunity and chance and this gift. That they don't have to do anything to earn it, but to simply believe. That you are who you say you are. And that you love us. And that you have done so much to make a way for us to meet you. We thank you, God, for that. And for those of us who are believers and have been Christians for many of our lives. Maybe we've fallen into this trap of believing these lies about God. So help us today, Holy Spirit. Speak to us. Change our hearts. Change our minds. Let us remember that you are more than we can understand. You are more than we say you are. Help us to destroy the lies that the enemy would tell us, that the lies that this world would have us believe of you so that we can walk 
with you. We can walk like you. And that people will know us simply because you are good. That you are love. And they will see that in us. That they will see that in us. Thank you, God. Thank you. You We hope you've enjoyed this message. We'd love to hear your story about how you've been blessed by this ministry or how we can pray for you. To connect with us, you can email us at amen at myemmanuelchurch.com. And if you would like to support us financially, you can give online at myemmanuelchurch.com slash give. Also, if you're in the area, we'd love to see you in person for the full worship experience. Thanks again, and we hope you have a blessed week.